Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It is game day. Boise State, UCF, 5 o'clock. And then the Utes and Weber State at 5.30. Big games. Boise State's on ESPN. The Utes are on the Pac-12 network with the Wildcats. And right now we're going to start off with a couple of U players getting ready for this game tonight, the season opener. Let's start with the quarterback, the transfer from Baylor, Charlie Brewer. What was your reaction as soon as you got the news that you're going to be the starter? Yeah, I mean, obviously, probably a little bit excited. Um, you know, football's back, favorite time of the year. So, you know, getting the opportunity to lead this team is, you know, obviously a big responsibility. And, uh, you know, I'm up for it for sure. From vantage point, how did the, did the battle with Cam go this fall and how did the coach handle it? Yeah, it was a good battle. Cam's a great quarterback. Um, I thought it was a really good competition. And, um, you know, we kind of pushed each other each week, each day, really. And, you know, both of us got better. What's that situation like when they tell you? How does that all go down? And like, how, do you guys come in together? Is it individual, or what happens? Um, it was individual. Um, I'm not exactly sure on his end, but um, I just know, you know, they just called me in and told me, and that was kind of that. How do you how do you kind of internalize that without? I mean, because you want to celebrate, right? Like you're, you're the guy, but at the same time, cheer on your teammates and also not kind of let it get too crazy. Yeah, I think um, obviously there's going to be some excitement, but um, you know, there's still a task to do, right? And I still got to play well. So um, um, you know, just being focused and you know, really just taking it day by day and keep improving. Um, just because I won the job doesn't mean that you know I can just get complacent. I got to keep getting better each day. Uh, teammates reacted with the news, and how do you feel like uh, you know things have gone for the last few days? I think it was good. Um, you know, the second I got here, I've, I kind of feel that everyone's welcomed me in, and uh, you know, it's kind of been family right away. So it, it's been great. How does this group compared to some of the groups you had with Baylor? Yeah, this this is a really good football team. Um, you know, obviously we got to keep putting in the work, and you know, play well every week. But uh, I see a lot of potential for sure. Where's your comfort level with, you know, your pass catchers and guys surrounding you on offense? Yeah, I feel uh, extremely comfortable. Now we've had, you know, I think since January we've been working. So a lot of time I think the chemistry is definitely there. And, uh, you know, we're kind of just excited to go put it on display this week. Why do you think you fit well with Andy's offense? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I just think that I love football. Coach Ludd loves football, and I think it's a good match. Um, you know, just getting in here, I kind of felt it as a, you know, kind of an opportunity to just come in here and learn the system um, kind of as a challenge. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've done that. Who watches more tape, you or him? <laughs> Probably him. <laughs> he watches a lot of film. But uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying, to, trying to match that for sure. What are you looking forward to most on that? Excuse me. What are you looking forward to most on Thursday? I think just getting out in front of a crowd again. Um, you know, it's been a while, I guess, since 2019 um, with the whole COVID thing. So I think it'll be fun. There'll be a lot of energy. I'm sure fans will be really excited to get out there. You know, they haven't been out there either. So, um, you know, I'm excited to get out there with the guys and kind of go show everyone what we've been working on. What's the hardest transition coming into here? I think just um, probably... Just learning the terminology of the playbook really um, came, you know, from a spread offense to now I would say kind of multiple or pro style offense. Um, so just getting that down, um, which took time, but you know, was able to get done. What did, what did you do to be able to allow yourself to, to feel like you have a good grasp of that offense? Look at it a lot and a lot, a lot. Um, 
a lot of hours looking at it, um, going over with coach, other teammates, by myself. Um, just a lot of time goes into you know learning it. Any impressions of Weber State? Oh uh, yeah, they're a really good football team. Uh, they play really hard. Um, got a lot of really good players on defense. So you know we're gonna have to come play well. And uh, you know they win a lot of games in the FCS level. Um, so we're gonna have to play well for sure. There is Charlie Brewer and a guy he figures to be throwing to quite a bit. Here's Britton Covey. So were you uh, shocked to hear either way of who the quarterback was, or, or, or did you see it coming that it was Charlie? Uh, I, I saw it coming. I think that it was kind of one of those you have to knock out the champ. You know, no one's going to win by split decision type type deals where Charlie had such a good spring that it really was going to take something miraculous from Cam to, to come in and do that after surgery. So I think we all expected that, but Cam came in and really threw a wrench in things. So it took longer, but I think that was what most people kind of expected coming coming out of spring. Britt, Coach Witt said, you know, kind of throughout that it was a close quarterback competition. Do you, do you believe that it was close like Kyle says it has? No, I really do. I mean, especially when I think they wanted to have a starter announced after the you know, first week of camp or first scrimmage and you couldn't. Um, realistically, I, I think that naming a starting quarterback, the team has to be all in, agree, in, in accordance with that and understand and I think that there wasn't enough separation to do that and as time went on everyone kind of understood you know there's not a ton of separation but Charlie gives us a few you know the experience edge and the spring and things like that so what's Charlie's defining characteristic as a quarterback what really stands out about his game to you well, in the film that I've watched, it's that he's 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 fearless. You know, I mean, he's only what six foot. You know, he's done, he's not like a four four guy. He doesn't have the killer arm that like you know Patrick Mahomes has. But he does everything that you need him to do. Like he has game winning drives. He'll dive for the pylon. He'll do all those things. And then, as I've seen in person, you know, it hasn't been as many live reps. It's his understanding of defenses that try and disguise themselves. You know, great defense always come with disguises. You have different safeties rolling down into coverage. You have ends dropping back. And it's almost like there hasn't been anything that he hasn't seen. And so I think that's kind of his defining characteristic. You guys had a lot of success with Tyler in 2019. What's different with... You know, what Cam, or not Cam, but Charlie does than than maybe what Tyler did as as a quarterback. Yeah. I think that Tyler had a good grasp on the kind of play action system. Um, Tyler Tyler really bought into this, you know, this new offense. He had learned three offenses in, you know, four years. And so um, I think that that's one thing that Charlie had to learn when he came here. Charlie at Baylor was more of a shotgun. You go out there, spread the field out, pick your matchups. Here is a little bit more methodical of, okay, we're going to set this up. We're going to be a great run team to be a great play action team. And I think that that took some time. And Tyler was really good at that. Um, and then they're actually really similar in in the way they move with their legs. You know, he's not as fast as Tyler, probably not as good a runner, but he moves well in the pocket. And if it's third and five, he'll pick up the first down with his legs. And, and so that's always exciting, you know. I, I think that that really op- opens up what you can do. You're going to have to put a spy on guys like that. <clears throat> you feel like the offense is ready to go coming up on first down? I do. I feel like... Uh, I feel like going into game week, we picked it up a whole another level. Uh, 
sometime we were talking in the locker room and the practice to game ratio you realize in football is just totally outrageous you, you practice like 99% of the time dating back from winter to spring to summer to only to play a, a two hour game right and so I think that going into game week it just amped everybody up it's like finally it's here and everybody started to really understand what it's all about and pick it up and it's really cool to see I mean I'm not sure how many freshmen we have 60 plus on this team and just to show them what it's like like going into game week it's different it, you know it's a different feel like it's you know there's more um, there's more mental focus than the whole rest of the year there is Britton Covey the Utes tonight against Weber State we're all looking forward to it we're going to get a game and yes I'll have more than one TV going I'm anchoring tonight at Channel 2 and I'll be checking out that Boise State game at the same time side by side what's going on interesting because Boise State's going to play Utah State going to play BYU they got a coaching change of their own so we got a lot of stuff to get to stay with us DJ and PK it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone it's game week for the Cougars and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time now to talk to Riley Jensen, our college football insider on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's happening, guys? Football, it's here. Now, of course, it looks like we're slated for some blowouts. Las Vegas doesn't want to put a point spread on the Weber State-Utah game. They never do when the big sky's playing the Pac-12. So they expect a blowout there. And then you see that BYU is a 12.5-point favorite over Arizona. Washington State is a 17-point favorite over Utah State. Which of these three games is most likely to have a really interesting fourth quarter and be a competitive game and a kind of thing like, I'm not going to bed early. I don't care if it's midnight. This game's getting right down to it. Who would that be? Ooh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I, <laughs> usually Vegas has kind of some interesting insight. <laughs> they, don't, they don't really miss very much, at least on their, on their, on their line. If you're looking for a good fourth quarter, I mean, I guess I'm just going to go with my heart and hope that Utah State's in it in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but I, I think those lines are about right. I, the one thing that I will say, you guys were just talking about Jay Hill, and you're right, you should root for Jay Hill. That's that's a fantastic coach. It's a fantastic person. And if he's at San Diego State, I'm going to be really, 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 really upset for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> but he would be very happy to have him. I think the one thing that I could say about Weber State and the Utah matchup is there's going to be some uncomfortable moments. This Weber State team is patterned almost exactly after the University of Utah. You're going to see the same type of defenses. You're going to see the same type of players. Now, of course, they're not, they're not as deep, and they don't have as many good players as the University of Utah, but this is a really good Weber fo- football team, and as I watch them and as I talk to the coaches, 
I think there's as many, and, and look, this is from the freshman class all the way to the senior class. I think there's as many as five NFL football players on the team at Weaver City right now. So this is not a terrible team. And I would expect for Utah fans to feel some uncomfortable moments. I mean, Josh Davis is a really good football player. You got Bronson Barron, who's already had a freshman year and is still a true freshman. Right? He's, he's played some good football. There's a guy by the name of Jared Scheiss on the defensive line. You got Connor Mortensen that plays linebacker. These are fun football players to watch. And so if you feel a little bit uncomfortable as a Utah fan tonight, it's okay. This is a really, really good Weaver State football team. So we've got with Washington State and the uh, Aggies, both coaches refusing to name their quarterbacks uh, game week. And we've had that around here a time or two, but both BYU and Utah, they were pretty much knew who it was going to be, and they made it official, so they did name them. No big zero surprise there. But what do you think about this cat-and-mouse game that the coaches play? I, I think it's a big nothing burger. I don't... I mean, especially the first game of the year. The first game of the year, it's not like, you know, if you're trying to pick your quarterback, it's not like anybody could prepare really specifically for one quarterback anyway. And good sound uh, sound and and organized defenses, like they're not, they're not really worried whether this guy is like a dual threat or whether he's a pocket passer. They're more worried about playing fundamentally sound defense. And I think, I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. More than anything, I think it's a little bit of a condemnation sometimes on their position. Like, oh, you, you haven't had a starter step forward? That kind of means that you're, you're disappointed with whoever you thought the guy was going to be, that he's not playing well enough. And so if you're still playing the cat-and-mouse game, um, most of the players know who the guy is. And if you don't start the guy who's the guy, who the players know is the guy, then, then the coach is making a fundamental mistake. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit familiar with the Washington State program. The, 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 the way and and really at Hawaii when Rolovich was at Hawaii. I don't. I, I kind of disagree fundamentally with the way that he's treated quarterbacks over the years. I, I don't like the way he does it. It's just my opinion, and I don't think I, I don't think it helps the quarterbacks to play to the best of their ability. So if you don't name a quarterback, are you okay with not naming a running back? Because obviously the Utes are going to go into the season, much as they did last year, given three or four different guys, five, seven, ten carries, whatever, sorted out. Last year they found their guy and they gave him 27 carries in game three. It looks like we're going down the same road. You okay with that? I'm, I'm okay with it because I think it's a little bit different position. I think it's one of those positions where you can play three guys. And I think – I think it was towards the end of Mike Shanahan's career at the Denver Broncos. He started proving that you could have like a sixth round draft pick as long as you have a good offensive line, and then you can play around with running backs till you find the guy that really has the rhythm. And you know they end up having two, three good running backs every year. And I think I think that's kind of what most teams. I mean, they talk about the NFL being copycat. College is copycat more than anyone. And when you and when you start to see that, like, okay, well. We can play three or four guys till we really find out who our guy is. That's not really a big deal because even if you find your guy and you give him the ball 27 times, your second guy might be a really good third-down situational player. He might be really good at pass blocking 
and he might be really good at catching the ball out of the backfield, and that's the guy that you want in the game in those situations. And so you really can find out a lot, and I think that's why when you're, when you're using your preseason schedule, it's kind of important for a team like Utah. Um, it's really important for a Pac-12 team to be a little bit wise in the way that they schedule themselves so that they can ease into their conference season um, and fig- by figuring out who their real guy is. Because it's really hard to tell what a running back can do until you're in really super live reps. It's hard, it's hard to tell. So Arizona is going to go the other way. Their coach announces that they're going to play two guys, and that's a little unusual, but we've seen it. And particularly at Arizona, it's probably a little more acceptable because he's got uh, fish, he's got major uh, rebuilding to do. The program has bottomed out, losing 12 in a row. But what I want to know from you is what do you think about when they're going to go with, not the fact that they're going with two, but how do you set that up? Because... Do you go with a hard fast? Okay, you're coming in on the second quarter, but suppose the first guy lights it up in the first quarter. You're a twelve point underdog. Suppose you're up seventeen to three. Why commit to go and play? And how do you do? You have a preset, or do you see how it goes? Because that opens it up for a lot of questions and interpretations, and I'm not sure what the answers are. Yeah, I totally agree. I you, you have to have a plan. I mean. You can't just go into the game and not have a plan, whether it's every other series, which I think is a total mistake to a quarterback because it's, it's a rhythm position. It's like saying it's like t- saying to a starting pitcher in, in the major leagues, like, okay, so we're going to have you pitch every other inning. And yeah. I know you can't really do that, right? But yeah. you, 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 you just wouldn't do that to a starting pitcher because you've got to get into a rhythm. You've got to be able to like be in the flow and kind of – the quarterback position is a little bit of a rhythm position. If you're constantly out of rhythm because you never know when you're in and you never know when you're out, that can be very difficult. I could see it more being like a first quarter, second quarter. This is what I think would happen. If if, if I were to do this, which I, I don't think I would – I can't see a scenario where I would do this, but I think you would go, all right, we're going to give you the first quarter, we're going to give you the second quarter, and then the second half is up to me based on how you play. Right, so you give them some time to get into a rhythm in the first quarter, some time to get some rhythm in the second quarter, and then you go, okay, so who gives us the best chance to win at this point? But you're right, if the kid goes out and he's gangbusters, and you're up seventeen to three in the first quarter, and then you pull the guy out and you put the other quarterback in, I mean, I, that would be a head scratcher to me. That'd be a real head scratcher, and I, I hope he's flexible enough to know or to think that. And I mean, man. The more I'm around college athletics, the more I'm around professional athletes and those sorts of things, like, man, ego is is a dangerous thing with both <laughs> the coaches and the players. And ego can get in the way of so many different things that it's just really, really interesting when, when, when these decisions are made. I'm always looking at decisions going, okay, was there any ego involved with that now? And if there is then you're kind of making emotional decisions instead of functional decisions. So what percentage of the time do you think people are getting it right, and what percentage of the time do you just walk away shaking your heads like, I can't save them from themselves? (laughs) Um, Boy, that's a really interesting question. I would say say that recently I would probably – listen – 
unless people want to get better and unless people want to look in the mirror, they're not going to get better. And I would say that the number is probably about 50% of the athletes that I work with and 50% of the coaches that I work with, like really do want to get better. Like they, they're, they're not afraid to look in the mirror and see that there's a word on their nose so they can put compound W on it. But most of the time, the, the people that don't want to, they don't want to look in the mirror and they don't even know they have warts, you know, and it's hard. It's hard to see that because we all have warts, right? We all have our blind spots. If you're not willing to look at it, if you're not in a growth mindset, that's really, really tough to work with. You do a lot of work with the mental health and and, and just uh, the psychological aspect. You've got training in that. You went back and got all that stuff, set yourself up. you got a nice thing going on. So I wanted to just ask you, it's a little bit off the subject, uh, but I think you're more than qualified to answer this. The golf tournament that they had last Sunday, right? You got Patrick Cantlay and DeChambeau, and it and it goes into what five or six holes of overtime. And DeChambeau ends up losing it. He had a number of putts to win, and he couldn't sink it. And as I'm watching this thing, and when DJ and I talked about it, I would have bet the farm on Cantlay winning because it seemed like every time he got on the green, he knew that the putt was going in, even if it didn't. And you knew as a viewer that he was going to win draining a long-distance putt, and I think it was 17 to 20 feet. I think they said 20, but put it at 17 later. And DeChambeau had a number of putts that were shorter than that, but he couldn't make them. How much do you think confidence played into that? Because it seemed like Cantlay felt like he was Kobe or MJ with the ball and the game on the line. This thing is going through the hoop. Yeah, it was. It, I, and I had the chance to watch it live, and it was fascinating to me. And I, I tweeted out just how fascinating it was to watch the body language of these two. <laughs> and look, DeChambeau is pretty impressive off the tee, right? And he hit some amazing shots. I mean, just amazing shots. And so did Cantlay. And it was really fun to watch. And, you know, I didn't have the courage to tweet it out. And, and I know this will sound like hindsight is twenty twenty, but the reason why you felt that way was the body language. I mean, the body language of Cantlay compared to DeChambeau was ridiculous. And those, those nonverbal cues, it's really interesting. And I could get into the deep studies about this. But the way you stand and the way you hold yourself – in difficult situations can have a huge impact on what the messaging is in your brain. So they know that body language affects your your self-talk, and they know that self-talk affects your body language. But the easiest one to fix is your body language. The easiest one to control is your body language, not all the different nuanced thoughts that go into your mind. And so you're watching these two, and there's all kinds of reaction and all kinds of body language going on with DeChambeau, especially after I think the second one where he missed like a six-foot putt. And all of them were going left there for a little while. And then if you watched him when he was putting, there was like really, really rigid arms. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And it was almost like he was trying to focus too much on using his big muscles instead of his fine muscles. And I just thought that there was way so much overthinking going on where Cantlay was just like, dude, I'm here. This is a beautiful day. I'm really good at golf. I'm just going to let my body do the work. Right? I'm just going to – it was almost as if – and it's funny in, in mental toughness – you're almost trying to cut people's heads off, and I don't mean that in, in a terrible way, but you're trying to disassociate the thoughts of your brains because all of these guys have hit all of these shots a bajillion times, and they can make all these shots. It's the one that can like get their head out of the way and just let their body do the work. 
and that 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 whole uh, you know those six holes were just super fascinating to me. I mean, the the biggest reaction that he got out of Cantlay was just like his little his little tongue coming out, like oh, I nailed that shot. Oh, I nailed that. <laughs> that was the only thing that he showed at all. Is is when he was doing something good. You didn't even have to watch the drive. Like as soon as he hit it. If his tongue came out of his mouth and he was like licking his top lip, it was it was money. <laughs> it was money, and it was just like holy cow, that was unbelievable mental toughness and really fun to watch for me. And DeChambeau was amazing in his own right, but Cantley just kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on. Finally, DeChambeau couldn't couldn't do anything about it. So I want you to go back to something you said early in the answer there about the body language and the messaging to the brain. I thought body language revealed what the brain is thinking. You know, if you're thinking, I'm not going to make this putt, I'm not going to make this free throw, a lot of times that can be seen in someone's body language, right? I saw it in their eyes. But are you saying that the body language can inform the brain about what it should think about this situation? Yes. Really? Yes. They're both, it goes both ways. And so that's why body language is so important is because they've shown that body language has a direct influence on your, on your, your self-talk and your self-talk has an influence on your body language. So if I can control my body language, that puts an athlete in control and the messaging to the brain is different. It's different. And so it's really, it's really fascinating. Um, and it's really, really kind of fun to, to see people. Like, if you watch Donovan Mitchell, I know he's talking to some sort of mental performance coach because he is so, he is so deliberate about his body language, even when he's not playing well. And he does all sorts of things like breathing techniques. He even uses a power word or has used a power word in the past. And what, I've, what's, a, I've what's a power word? It. What's a power word? So, so a power word is like, well, I'll give you the example. I know he says the word sometimes, and he doesn't do this all the time, but in certain times he says the word trust underneath his breath at the free throw line, right? Meaning trust your training, trust the work that you put in, trust your coaches, trust all the experiences that you've had up to this point to be in this moment, right? And then he takes a deep breath and he'll shoot the free throw, right? And a power word is really good because if it's one or two words, like a power phrase or a power word, it can actually just get you hyper-focused on the fundamentals of, like, what you do. And now you're not thinking about, oh, my gosh, am I going to let my teammates down? Oh, my gosh, am I going to let my fans down? Am I going to let my family down? Am I you're not thinking all these <laughs> negative thoughts that could possibly happen. You're just thinking about what's the most important thing that I need to do right now to be successful. And these guys are so good. I mean, you know, everybody's going to say DeChambeau choked and all that kind of stuff. Man, he's good, though. Man, he's freaking good. And just a little tweak with his body language, and that guy could be winning just bajillions of, of matches, right? Next time I golf with PK, I'm going to say the word trust before every putt that's inside of 10 feet. There's no trust for 25 feet. 25 feet, you close your eyes and you hit it. <laughs> Here's the problem. I'm not sure that you put in as much work as Donovan in the golf game. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't. Yeah. Well, I, the fascinating thing to me, Riley, is, and if I relate it to my little golf situation, I play a fair amount of golf, is why sometimes I'm over the ball and I just know it is mm-hmm. going to be great. The result is going to be exactly what I want. But other times, it's like I've never been there. How do I take from never been there to where, yep, I know it's going to happen, man. I feel great. So that's a huge leap. 
I would, I would say that's a huge leap in your golf game. To go from, man, it feels like I've never been here before, to, oh my gosh, Pollyanna, everything is sunshine, flower, rainbows, and glitter, is a really, really huge jump. So what I would say to you, if I were working with you, PK, is I would say, hey, try and get yourself to a neutral thought. <laughs> okay? So a neutral way of thinking when you're golfing is a 3 two, one technique. What are three things I can see? What's two things I can hear? What's one thing that I can feel, like the sun on my face, a little bit of a wind, whatever else, take a deep breath and then hit the ball. And what that does is for 30 seconds, you had neutral thinking instead of negative thinking. Like, oh my gosh, I've never been here before. This feels so off. My grip feels weird, blah, 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 yada, 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 right? So sometimes your biggest win is just to get yourself from that negative thought to what I call neutral thinking. And another way to do neutral thoughts is just to think the way that you would coach your best friend through something. Not the way you would coach yourself, because usually we're really hard on ourselves and really mean. But if you were to coach your best friend through a shot, what would you tell him right now? And that's a really, really good neutral or what I call productive thought that allows you not to go to the cheesy over the top, like I'm a stud, I'm the stuff weekends are made of, I was born to be here, all that kind of stuff, right? But if you can get to, like, if my if I was coaching my best friend right now, what I would say is keep your head down and and commit to your shot. That might be the two things that you say to yourself instead of, oh, my gosh, my grip feels weird. This wind's throwing me off. I can't believe it's raining. You know, all these negative thoughts can seep into our mind when we're golfing. Yeah. Just get to a neutral thought, some sort of a neutral thought. Ronnie, we'll leave it right there. Thanks for the football and the golf tips, and uh, I'm sure there's a basketball <laughs> player out there who can take all this to the free throw line, too. That was really fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider and mental performance coach, Riley Jensen Consulting, with some really interesting insight. I I absolutely know that body language, body language reveals the mindset. I had no idea that it shaped the mindset, that it could improve the mindset. I, I had not heard that before. Interesting stuff from Riley right there. Hey, a reminder, coming up later this morning, 835, we're going to be giving away tickets to see Utah and Weber State tonight. College football is here. It's go time. Uh, if you're sitting at home watching on TV, it's Boise State and UCS, UCF at uh, 5. That's a good game. And then the Utes on the Pac-12 Network at 5.30. And then Arizona State is following the Utes with their season opener as well. So a lot of college football tonight. But if you want to go to the Utah-Weber State game, we've got tickets. You've got a chance to win. We'll be looking for caller number 12 about 8.35 this morning. So stay tuned for that. Coming up next, Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson to talk about the opener, Arizona and BYU in Las Vegas. That's next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, we are joined now by Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you all doing? We are doing well. We're looking forward to the start of college football. And I'm curious, are Arizona fans looking forward to the start of it? Or have they got one eye open and one eye closed because this is going to be a bit of a project and there's a long losing streak and it may be a while before it gets better? What are they thinking? Um, it's a, Well, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's a little bit of both because you've got to remember, Arizona football right now is in the midst of a 12-game losing streak. So, and last game was, well, 70-7 to against a fairly pedestrian ASU team. But the good news is Jed Fish has come in and when he was initially announced as the head coach, a lot of people were like, huh? But he's come in, he's recruited incredibly well, and he's done everything right. You know, he's been available for the fans, he's been available for the media, and, you know, right now he's looking like he might be able to bring in a top 25 class, which let's, uh, you know, let's be honest, in Arizona, that's a big deal. I look at the job that Jed Fish has to do, and I compare it to what Bronco Mendenhall had to do at BYU in Great comparison. 2004 5. They had three consecutive losing seasons. The program was a mess. And just his ability to get everybody together and unify the team and focus it on the task at hand led to six wins. It's in the Mountain West, so it's probably easier than what uh, Arizona has to do in the Pac 12, particularly in the Pac 12 South. With that in mind, how much do you think just the fact that Jed Fish can come in with all all this enthusiasm, and I grew up in Arizona, went to ASU, so I've followed the U of A, and I've heard all these things you've been saying. How much do you think that can translate? Maybe you know, we not big time success this year, but maybe more success success than originally anticipated. Uh, yes, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. And the the comparison to Mendenhall, I think, is a fascinating one because, as you guys know. BYU is kind of a program right now that I think Arizona fans should be should, should look to uh, should look to emulate because you look at it and what's the first thing at least from you know my perspective I look at BYU and I think of stability and I think of basically a solid program and that's essentially what Arizona has not been for the last twenty plus years and so yes the oh, jet fish comes in here and it's going to take a little while. But at least everybody is on the same page, which is a huge difference from in the past, you know, with Kevin Sumlin, where it didn't really look like anybody was on the same page. Everybody was kind of just going in different ways. There's all these, you know, questions about what's going on off the field. So, yes, the program continuity and stability looks to be headed certainly in the right direction. The problem, though, fellas, is there's just not much talent on this roster, if we're being honest. So when you see a twelve and a half point spread, uh, do you think that's about right? Oh, I think I think BYU covers that. I would imagine when I when it first came out at eleven and a half, it felt a little low to me. I would guess, and this is just a guess, I would guess that that point spread probably hits around fourteen by the time kickoff hits. Um, I know that there's obviously been money that's gone in on BYU, 
The, here's the problem, and I know you guys are breaking in a new quarterback, but just looking across, you know, just looking at the, just looking at your guys' offensive line, looking at some of the skill position players, you're just a lot bigger than Arizona. And you know, newsflash, you know, BYU, you're probably going to have some older guys on the team, and you know. It's great to come out and have this ability to be able to throw some younger guys out, out there. And, you know, you've got an energetic coaching staff. And I think this game could be close for a little while. But I think, honestly, I think with the way that BYU's got this going, this is going to be a problem for Arizona. And that's as much of a indictment against Arizona as it is a pro, you know, BYU remark. So Fish says he's going to go with the two quarterbacks. How's it going to play out, though? When's the second one coming in? Um, you know, this is an, it's an interesting question because Jed Fish also said that there has been separation between the two quarterbacks. And my opinion is, is that Gunnar Cruz, who is the starting quarterback, obviously is the one that has probably shown some separation in practice because <laughs> I, don't know a lot of, I don't know a lot of head coaches that are going to say, you know what, um, our backup's shown a lot of separation in practice. We're going to go with the other guy. So I think Gunnar Cruz, honestly, is going to get his opportunity. And like Jed Fish said, he's, um, he said, you know, listen, we're going to go with two quarterbacks, but if, you know, one, guy is, one guy's got the hot hand, I'm going to keep him going. And I'm, I think that that's probably what they want. Here's the, here's, the thing that, here's the thing that's interesting, though, is that Will Plummer, who's the backup, has a lot more physical ability bigger arms can move around really really good um, but the problem is he's an interception machine he was that way in high school he's been like that in spring practice uh, Cruz is far more uh, I would say far more reliable but the problem and I think I think you guys will see this come game time is that he holds on to the ball way too long. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, in practice and scrimmage since most of it's been open, that he would just be running around and, you know, there's six, seven seconds, and then he just chucks it. He's got a – he doesn't – he's not great at reading the field, and I think that's going to be an issue for him, especially come opening night. Mike Luke joining us, Arizona Wildcats pre and post game host. You you print you 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 have a pretty bleak picture here for the Wildcats. Where would they have an offense, defense, special teams, run pass? Where might they have an advantage against BYU? Okay, so there are a couple good things. I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. I think the running game is going to be fairly decent. They got a kid named Michael Wiley who has been on is on the Doak Walker watch list. He's kind of the proverbial running back that he, you know, he'll get four to five carries a game and he gets 32 yards. So you look at it, and you're like, wow, his yards per carry is at, you know, six or seven. He's a kid that I, and he's really bulked up this offseason. He's a guy that I think has a chance to go for a thousand yards. He's quite good. Now, and defensively, I think if Arizona's going to surprise some people, oh, and by the way, for all your uh, uh, listeners out there, I think Arizona does is better than the two-and-a-half wins. I think they get three, totally off topic. But when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, there's one guy that yeah, I think is going to be a monster for Arizona, and his name's Jalen Harris. He's a 6'6", 240-pound junior, Don Brown, who's the new defensive coordinator, who was Michigan coordinator for five years, obviously has been around some talent. 
has compared him to a lot of guys that he worked with that went on to play in the NFL, guys like Chase Winovich, players like that. And I would he's the one that I would tell BYU fans to certainly keep an eye on because Don Brown, without saying it, I think is expecting him to have around a 10 or 11 sack season. And I think the defense, as long as they don't get totally worn down, I think that they can cobble together maybe a fairly decent unit. Uh, as I understand it, in researching, I think they like their cornerbacks, too. So I'm interested to see what the cornerbacks can do against BYU, which has deep and I think has a good level of receivers. Yes, the, cornerback, the cornerbacks are interesting because you've got two kids. You've got a guy in Christian Roland Wallace who is the only corner on the team, or excuse me, the only player on the team that has a, had a legitimate USC offer out of high school. Um, Arizona generally doesn't get those kind of guys. And so he's going to be lined up on one side. And then on the other side, you're probably going to have Isaiah Rutherford, a Notre Dame transfer who is an ex-four-star kid out of California. And they're both fairly tall guys. I mean, you know, Isaiah Rutherford's about 6'1". Roland Wallace is probably around 5'11", 6'0", but he's a bulky, you know, 195, 200-pound guy. So, yes. They haven't shown a ton in games because, obviously, you know, they haven't played a ton. But I would imagine if Arizona's going to surprise some people, those are the duo right there that are going to have to be good, and they're going to be able to have to not really be on an island because they're not those type of players, but they're going to have to both be above-average Pac-12 caliber players for Arizona to put together a pretty good defensive unit. So, yes, you're, you're, you're spot on right there. There's cautious optimism when it comes to both the corners. Do you believe Arizona will be able to tackle any better than they have in the past? Yes, just because they can't get any worse. Um, the last, you know, the last couple years under uh, uh, Kevin Sumlin, it was a combination of terrible technique and guys that just really didn't care. And the first thing Don Brown uh, said when he came in is, if you don't run to the ball and you don't tackle, you won't play for me. And he means it. This is a unit or this is a team that, you know, there's not a ton of expectations. You know, when you go into the season with a two and a half win, when you go into the season with a two and a half win over under, you're obviously not expected to do a ton. But the one thing about this team, though, and the one thing about uh, Brown is he knows that. And so this is kind of a bridge. You know, I don't want to say throwaway year. It's, I think it's a little too lazy. But so if these guys don't play, I mean, he'll literally throw in the second and third stringers and say, okay, you know what? They might not have the ability that the first team guys do, but at least when they get their hands on the ball carrier, they're going to tackle them. So it's certainly a thing where, you know, BYU, I imagine, is going to continue to run the ball and. Arizona's going to have to be able to tackle because there's going to probably be a lot of second-level tackle opportunities for the linebackers. You already mentioned the one running back. I'm wondering where the Northwestern transfer Anderson fits in because he had success in the Big Ten. He's an interesting guy because he's Damian Anderson's son, so he's an NFL, you know, he's got NFL bloodlines. He's, it's weird, though, because he's gone back and forth in camp. Sometimes he was running with the backups. Sometimes he was running with the threes and the fours. He's, he, did have some, he did have some success, you're right, in North, at Northwestern. But he's also one of these guys, too, that when you look at him, he's not a really big dude. 
He doesn't really stand out in practice. I think he's probably going to get the second-team reps come, uh, come game time, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do with those because, you know, as you guys know, some guys, sometimes people are gamers. Sometimes people go out there and they just, you know, and they just need the lights to go on. And I think if you're Arizona, you're hoping that's the case because he ideally, I think, with his experience would be the perfect uh, complement to what Michael Wiley does at the running back position. So there's a lot of transfers. Is the transfer portal the way to go to rebuild the University of Arizona football program? Or is this just kind of a one-off because they need guys? You know what's funny? Jed Fish mentioned that in his or in his uh, coach's show, and I think it's a twofold. Uh, uh, first of all, you needed guys, um, but second of all, he made a point though. He said if you look at the transfers that we brought in, a lot of these guys are guys that have three or four years to play, and so he brought up Isaiah Rutherford. He brought up a uh, Jason Harris, a defensive end from Colorado, who was a four-star uh, pass rusher. Um, you look at guys like that, they have three to four years to play. Where And then, you know, you do look at it, it's got some guys like a, uh, a Trey Hayward, who was a transfer, you know, from uh, uh, Western Michigan, who was a small school All-American type. He's only got one year to play, but he's he was good enough that you obviously bring in a guy like that. So I think you try to bring in guys that can play, but you also buoy them, hopefully, with guys that you know can come in and hopefully be able to play and contribute immediately, even if it's just for one year. You know, same thing with a guy like a Gunner Cruz. He comes in, he's still got four years to play at the quarterback position. So there's a lot of these guys that it's almost – with the, with the COVID exception, it's almost like you're bringing in guys that are almost high school kids if you think they're good enough. Where are the winds coming from? <sighs> That's a great question. So I, uh, they should, they're, they're, they're going to beat NAU, and if they don't beat NAU, then there's obviously even bigger problems than we think. I think they have a pretty good chance against San Diego State. Uh, that game's at home. I know San Diego State's won 10, 11 games. A lot, but at the same time, they're losing 70% of their people. Then I think in the Pac-12, they're going to have to sneak one, whether that's, Colorado, whether that's Colorado, you know, you've got a game, you've got a game against Cal, UCLA, possibly Washington State. They've got a few winnable games there. And so I think they go into the conference two and one, and I think they win one, possibly two conference games. So that's where... I know I didn't give you the exact three, but I think those were two come from, and I think that they've got, or they've certainly got some winnable games in the conference. Well, Mike, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking a little uh, Wildcat football, and BYU fans like the way you think. Cougars are going to cover, so BYU yeah. fans are anytime, on board with that. Anytime. You know, it's one of those things, even if, uh, even if Arizona loses, it's, it's, I think it's, we're just excited down here just to get a new era rocking and rolling. There's Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson. A reminder, Utah is playing tonight against Weber State, and we've got tickets to give away, and we will do that at 8.35 this morning. So make sure you're listening at 8.35 for your chance to win tickets to see the Utes and the Wildcats. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.